what's up, church? Hopefully you're having a great weekend. Uh, do you remember back in the day on the playground when you could just call a do-over? You know what I'm talking about? Remember those days? Um, when you, you know, it's when you messed up and then you called do-over, 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 and sometimes there's a little argument about it. But then eventually you get to redo what you did or you get another shot. Um, wouldn't that be great in life? If you could just have do-overs, like whenever you want, you could just call anything you didn't like. You could just call a do-over. Um, you ever have it? Th- this past week, I was, for some reason, I don't know what I was doing. I was like running my thumb along a wooden door at our house for some reason. And, um, and apparently the wood had like splintered out and it like shoved up my thumb and it hurt a lot. It hurt way more than a splinter should ever hurt. Actually, I was embarrassed by how much hurt it was. And so I like pull it out and I'm just like, man, you ever do that? Where you like stub your toe or you jam your finger or you get some splinter or something like that. And you're just like, man, that really hurts. It'd be so nice if you could just call a do-over. You could go back like five seconds and just not do the thing that you did. All right, that'd be so much better. Or you ever say something that you wish you didn't say? Maybe you like got some secret that you're not supposed to say, you know, for a friend or, you know, you told somebody you wouldn't say it, you wouldn't, you know, share their thing or whatever it might be. And it just kind of comes out and you're just like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Wouldn't it be so nice if you could just call a do-over and you could fix that situation? Or maybe, for some of you, maybe your issue is you, um, you, you say stuff because you're heated or it's, you're emotional in the moment. And so stuff is just coming out. You're not thinking about the th- words that you're saying. And you're just, you just say something and you don't even feel bad about it immediately after. Maybe it's like you wake up the next morning and you're like, ah. Oh. I can't believe I said that last night. Man, I really wish I didn't do that. You know, and wouldn't it be so nice if you could just go back and have a do-over? Or maybe you make some mistake at work. You just say, do-over. When the cop pulls you over and he says, why? Do you know why I pulled you over? And you're just like, uh-huh. officer, I'm just going to call it do-over right here. Okay, thank you. Like, that would be so nice if that was the way the world worked. Today, what we're going to do is we are going to wrap up our series in John. This is actually our 20th message on John since Christmas. And uh, what Jesus does for the disciples today, particularly Peter, it's like he gives them a do-over. Right? And we've talked about this, um, especially over the last few weeks. Three days after Jesus died and was put to death, uh, he came back and he started appearing to a whole bunch of people. And he tells his disciples to meet him up in Galilee. This first starts off in Jerusalem. That's where Jesus dies. He tells his disciples, hey, I'll meet you up in Galilee. Galilee is a big region. Um, north, uh, in kind of northern Israel, there's this kind of where most of them were from. It's kind of their home, home turf, if that makes sense, where Jesus grew up. There's a big lake up there called the Sea of Galilee as well. And so the disciples go, and they wait for about a month, no Jesus. Right, Jesus has not appeared to them yet. There's been no Jesus sightings. They don't know what's going on. And think about it from the disciples' point of view at this point, right? Like Jesus had not told them what they were going to be doing. And for the last three years, each one of them had been thinking that they were going to get some like new job in this new government. They were going to be advisors to the new king, Jesus. And it was going to be awesome. And they were going to be VPs in Jesus Incorporated or whatever. You know, they were super excited. But then just within the last few weeks, their whole life had been turned upside down. Like everything that they planned on happening didn't. And sure, Jesus was, re- was, was resurrected. They're not even sure what that meant yet. And so it looks like Peter does what many or even most of us do when life doesn't go as planned. When something happens and something just like comes into our life that we're not ready for, it just kind of shakes us. He goes back to his old life and he makes himself busy 
and he, he gives himself a distraction. So we talked about this last week. He decides he's going to go fishing. This is his trade. This is what they do. And the other disciples, they follow him. And that night, the first night, right, they go out. They're on their boat, and they catch nothing. Okay, some of you guys that go fishing, you know exactly how this feels. All right, it's a terrible feeling. You go out for an afternoon, you go fishing, and all you come back with is like a sunburn, and that's it. And it's, you know, these guys, it is frustrating, right? We've all been there when the fish just aren't biting. They go out all night, and, it, and they're frustrated, and they see the sun coming up, and they're like, okay, well, you know, didn't catch anything tonight. This was not a great idea. And so they are annoyed. They're probably super annoyed with each other at this point. They're tired. I mean, it's just all of the above. And so they start rowing to shore. And you got this dude on shore who starts yelling out to him. He says, hey, little kids. I mean, these are grown men, right? These are professional fishermen, not what you want to be called. He's like, hey, little kids, did you guys catch anything out there last night? And they're just like rolling their eyes. They're like, oh, you got to be kidding me. This dude is like, hey, I got an idea. Um, I've noticed that you keep throwing your nets on the left side. Why don't you try the right side? Maybe all the fish are on the right side of the boat. And they're just like, are you kidding me? Who is this guy? And so um, they don't realize that this is Jesus yet. They don't know it's Jesus. And they're just, who does this guy think he is? See, the disciples, they don't understand what Jesus is doing. But he is actually recreating the first time that they met three years before. See, and we, we recalled this last week. Jesus, he's teaching. He's brand new. He kind of just shows up on the scene. And, uh, and crowds were coming from all over the place because everybody wanted to hear what Jesus was going to say because he was saying things that no one had ever heard before. And everybody wanted to see what Jesus was going to do next because he was doing things that nobody had ever seen before. And so Jesus is teaching. And all these crowds just came from all around. And there, he happens to be on the edge of the same lake three years before. And these crowds are pressing up against him. And he just cannot teach. And so Jesus jumps into Peter's boat and says, hey, row out a little bit. And he sits down in the boat, and the rest of the people sit down on the shore, and he begins to teach. Now, after he's done teaching, he kind of dismisses them. Okay, we'll see you guys back here at 9 a.m. tomorrow. You know, don't forget. That type of thing. He turns over to, he looks at Peter, and he says, hey, let's go fishing. And Peter's like, Jesus. Jesus, I know you're a teacher, and you're a rabbi and all, but um, I'm a professional fisherman. Like, this is what I do. And uh, we've been fishing all night, and it's way better to fish at night. The fish bite a lot more than during the day. It's like, there's no fish out there. Right? It's just going to be a wasted trip. Not worth fishing. Um, we won't catch anything. And Jesus looks at Peter, and he's just like, let's just try. And so he's like, okay. He kind of looks at John. He's like, dude, the dude wants to go fishing. Let's take him fishing. I'll show him. We'll show him. And so they go out, and they throw out the nets, and they catch more fish in the, just the one, you know, net throw than they had ever caught before. In fact, they caught so many fish that John tells us the boat starts to sink, all right? Not a good thing. And when the disciples see this, or actually they weren't disciples yet, they were going to be his disciples from this event. This is the event that changes their minds about Jesus. Remember what Peter does? He gets down on his knees and he worships. And he says, he realizes that God is in his boat. And from that moment on, these guys, at least Peter, James, Andrew, John, these guys follow Jesus. Now here they are, three years later, in the same situation, on the same lake, maybe in the same spot. We don't know. Maybe they haven't been fishing since that very day. And here they are picking right up where they left off. And so here's Jesus on the shore calling them back again. See, some of you, 
It's interesting, just your view of Jesus is off, right? Like you view Jesus, and, and some of this might be because of your past or maybe your own, you know, dad issues or whatever it might be. But you view Jesus as the guy yelling at his disciples, like the guy standing on shore saying, hey, hey you, get out of the boat. Like, come on, get over here. That's not Jesus. That ain't Jesus. All right, that's not what he's doing here. All right, he's fun. He's kind of playing around. Remember, he's calling them little kids. Hey, little kids out there, you know. I mean, he's forgiving. He's creative. This is not Jesus standing on the shore in his angry tone. And so they throw the net in. They don't know who this guy is. They're like, all right, well, we're going to, that's where we got to take the boat, right where he's at. So let's just throw it in. It's going to be awkward. And so they throw the nets in, and they catch a ton of fish. In fact, John, who's a fisherman by trade, like he tells us, they caught 153 big ones. So these aren't the little ones. You know, these are the big fish. And, uh, and when this happens, remember, John leans over to Peter, and he says, man, that's got to be Jesus. And Peter's like, what? That is Jesus. He's done this before. Remember, this is like deja vu all over again. And Peter, remember, he flops in the water, and he starts swimming to Jesus as fast as he can. But John tells us, that uh, they're only like 100 yards away from shore. And so John's like, the rest of us, we just stayed in the boat like a normal person. And we're like, all right, let's row. And they start rowing. They're like, come on, Peter. Come on, Peter. You can do it. You know, and they just row to shore. They probably get to shore around the same time. And so John tells us in verse 9, he says, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. And so Remember, Jesus just recreated the scene of the first time he called them as disciples, right? He just recreated that thing with this whole fish thing. And here, John adds for us an important detail. He says, hey, this fire is not just some ordinary fire. This, hap- this fire happens to be a charcoal fire. Now, the, in the New Testament, this word is only used twice. John's the only one who uses the word, and it's used once here. And then the other time it's used is the last time that we saw Peter by a charcoal fire, which was the night of Jesus' arrest. Remember that? Jesus gets arrested. He gets taken to the, to the high priest's house for this, like, sham trial. Peter, he gets into the inner courtyard, and he could kind of see Jesus through this opening. It's kind of the last time maybe that they, that they really, you know, had a moment with each other. And so Jesus, remember Peter, he's standing, warming himself by this charcoal fire with a bunch of other guys. And it's the same night, actually around this fire is the same time where, where he gets question, hey, aren't you one of that guy's disciples? Aren't you one of his followers? And Jesus is like, no, I don't even know who that guy is. Remember that? He does that three different times. He denies he even knew Jesus. See, Jesus is recreating another scene here. And John's trying to get us to understand that. He's like, hey, this is a special thing. It actually happens to be the scene at the heart of Peter and, their, and the rest of the disciples there, at the heart of their guilt and the heart of their shame. It's the night that they all bailed on Jesus. It's the night when everything went down. Actually, it was just hours after they all stood around this table, all right, in that second floor room saying, hey, Jesus, we are with you to the end. We would die for you. And there's just a few short hours later, they all left Jesus to die, running scared. Now Jesus is about to have one of his last talks with his boys. And he says, come, have breakfast, he told them. Now, none of the disciples, they dare to ask him, who are you? Because John's like, because we all knew that it was Jesus, all right? It was clear this is Jesus. So Jesus came, and he took the bread, and he gave it to him, and he did the same with the fish. He says, this was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, one thing that John wants us to understand is that Jesus, he came back physically, okay? This is like him in an actual body. This isn't some spirit 
It's not some ghost. Remember, remember when, when Jesus confronts Thomas or he appears to Thomas? Remember, he's like, hey, Thomas, come touch me. You want to touch me? All right, you want to you feel these holes in my hand? All right, from where the nails went through? Hey, you want to see this nasty scar I got right here? You want to come touch it? You want to touch it? You know, he's an actual body. This is actually really Jesus. He ate with them. Here he is. He's eating with them again. It's not like, you know, Jesus is sitting there and it's like, you know, he's eating fish. And they're like, Jesus, dude, you're, Jesus, your fish is falling on the ground. Gross, you know. And Jesus is like, oh, man, I forgot. I'm a ghost. Oh, spirit. You know, that's not what's going on here. Right? Like, this is actually the real Jesus. It's the real deal. It's not some imagination. It's not some vision. It's not a dream. All right, it's Jesus. And so John tells us that when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, he says, Simon, son of John. Now, this is something that Jesus never did. Jesus never called Peter by this way, Simon, son of John. Um, if you remember, um, this is actually his, his full name here. Now, you know, like, you remember back when you were a kid and your mom used your full name? Not good, right? Remember those times? Like for me, it'd be like, Zachary Kevin Pinkerton, you get down here. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm in trouble. I better go. You know, like that type of thing. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. All right. All right. Um, yeah, that's kind of what's going on here. So here's Jesus. He says, Simon, son of John. And Peter's like, uh-oh, something's up. And Jesus says, I have a question for you. And again, if you can picture this, they're all sitting around this fire. They're all eating fish. They're kind of laughing, having a good time. And they're, they're all, you know, it's Jesus and at least seven disciples, maybe more. And he says, do you love me more than these? Now, scholars have been debating what these are for like 2,000 years. Okay, so I don't, I'm not going to claim that I know exactly what Jesus is talking about here. But there's some pretty good options out there. All right? Maybe there's a good chance. Maybe Peter doesn't even know what Jesus is pointing to either. But he's probably pointing to something. Maybe he's saying, hey, do you love me more than these fish? As he's eating the fish that Jesus made. And you know, if Jesus is making a meal... It's a fine meal. You know what I'm talking about? Like, this is God cooking you up fish. It's going to be some good fish. Is he asking that? Is he like, hey, Jesus, do you love me more than, more than this fish that you're eating? Or, or maybe he's like, or maybe Jesus is saying, hey, Peter, do you love me more than, more than these? Maybe he's pointing at the other disciples. Like, do you love me more than you love these fr your friends of yours? Huh? What about that? Or maybe he's saying, hey, Peter, do you love me more than these? Maybe some scholars say maybe he's pointing at like the boats and the nets and, and the fish and all their gear and stuff like that. Like, like the old way of life that it sure looks like Peter was kind of going back to. Is that what he's referring to? Do you love me more than this? Do you love me more than your job or security or safe income or stability or comfort? You love me more than these? Right? Think about that. How, how would you answer that, by the way? If Jesus were to show up, maybe you're sitting around a fire on the shore of a lake talking with Jesus. And he's like, do you love me more than, more than your stuff? Like more than your house or your career or your vacations or your sports or your toys? Like your boat, you know, stuff like that. Uh, do you love me more than these? I think every single one of us, we'd all stand here because we're churching, we're Christian people, you know. And we say, of course not. Jesus, I love you more than all that stuff combined. Like, I, like you're more important to me. You are number one in my life. Like, this is how we would say it. But the question is, all right, sure, we would all say that. We'd all give lip service. But does our life reflect that? Ah. See, our life, the way we live our life actually reflects what's truly on the inside. Is practice more important than Jesus? Right? Is our careers more important than Jesus? Is our reputation or respect more important to us than Jesus? Are our friends more important to us than Jesus? What about our family? What about our kids? Are they more important to us 
than Jesus, our girlfriend or a boyfriend? See, I think a lot of us, what we do, we all would say, yeah, God's, God's number one in our life. But the question is, or what really comes down to it, I think, is a lot of us, we give God our leftovers. You know, I got to do all this stuff, but then, you know, if I have time, then, you know, I'll do what God wants me to do, that type of thing. Maybe Jesus is talking about that. Do you love me more than this stuff? Maybe he's saying, hey, uh, Peter, do you love me more than these disciples love me? This would also make sense. All right, remember the last talk that they had? We're going to be referring to this night a few times. Um, this, the, they're in that second story room. This night before Jesus died, he gathers his disciples kind of for one last talk. Remember this? We've talked about this over the last few weeks. Remember, Jesus is, at one point, he's like grieved, and they can see it all over his face. And they're asking him, they're like, Jesus, what's wrong? What's going on here? What's, what's the deal? And Jesus is like, okay, here's the deal. I'll just, I'll just come out with it. One of you guys are going to betray me. And they're all like going around the table like, I know I'm not betraying you. I wouldn't do that. And they all go around one by one. They're like, no way, Jesus, not me, not me, not me. And Peter, he gets up and he's like, here's the deal, Jesus. All right, not only will I betray you, but I could see any of these guys betraying you. He's like, even if all of these guys left you, not me, I'm with you to the end. I am ride or die. Jesus, I will give my life to you, all right? I just want to let you know that. Like, I love you the most. I, out of all these guys, I am the most committed to you. And remember what Jesus says to Peter that night? At that moment, he's like, Peter, Peter, you don't even understand. Peter, before the night's even over, you're going to deny that you even know me, not once, not twice, but three different times. And so, maybe he's asking, Peter, are you sure that you love me more than these guys love me? Are you sure that you love me more now? You still on that? And so Peter answers him. He says, yeah. You know, Jesus, that I love you. Now, super interesting what Peter does here. I actually didn't know this until this week as I was studying this stuff up. All right. Um, this word love, there's a word play going on here. See, in, in English, we only have one word for love. Okay, so we say, you know, I love God, I love my spouse, I love my dog, and I love fajitas. All in the same sentence, okay? We use the same word for it all, but we have these different levels of love, okay? We all understand that. But in the Greek language, that's the language that this was actually written in originally, it's the language John Rice is in, um, there's actually several different words for love that mean different things, like different levels of love. And so the word that Jesus chooses to use here is this word agape. It's a word for love. It's like the highest form of love, like like uh, an unconditional form of love. He's, it's a supreme form of love, if that makes sense. And so what he's saying is, Peter, do you agape me? Or do you love me supremely? Like I'm number one in your life, Peter. Is that what's going on? And it's so interesting to me that Peter answers, but he actually answers using a different word for love. Actually, he answers using a lesser form of love. An affectionate love uh, uh, called philia, right? It's where we get the term Philadelphia from. It's, it's a more of a brotherly love. And at first I read this and I'm like, dude, that's messed up. Come on, Pete. Like here's Jesus, one of your last talks with Jesus, and he's asking you if you agape him, like supremely love him. And you're like, nah, Jesus, I just like you. You know, like that's kind of messed up, right? But the more that I've been thinking about it, the more I, I'm starting to realize that I don't think this is a bad thing. See, before Peter was the type of guy who takes everything to the extreme, right? Like the dude at the table who's like, man, even if all these guys, I love you more than anything, Jesus, I'm with you to the end. But I think Peter has learned something within the last month. <laughs> See, I think he's learned that his love is actually less than he claimed it was. 
I think Peter's finally at the, at the, at the point where he's like, okay, um, maybe I'm not as good as I think I am, which would probably be good for some of us to learn. Peter's learned that. And so Jesus says, okay, you love me, you like me, you love me like a brother. He says, feed my lambs. Now, what does he mean by that? Feed my, what, my lambs? Jesus got like pet lambs, and he's like, hey, I'm going to be gone for a while. I'm going to heaven, okay? Can you go to, stop by my house? Here's my key. Take care of my lambs. All right, like, is that what's going on? No, that's not, it's not some pet lambs or anything like that. At this point, uh, Jesus, Peter and the disciples, they knew exactly that, that Jesus was not talking about actual sheep, right, or animals here, because they had been with them for three years. They, they're on to Jesus at this point. And what he's referring to is he's referring to his followers, us, ironically. By the way, not a compliment, okay? Sheep are like dumb, okay? If you didn't know that, sheep are like the dumbest animal out there is what, is what I'm being told. Um, it's funny, I, my brother and, sorry, my sister and my brother-in-law, uh, just last week they had, they have some sheep and they had like baby sheep, okay, so lambs. So they gave birth to some little lambs. And they got this like one little lamb that is just so dumb, all right? It just kind of wanders around all by itself. It doesn't stick with the herd or what, the flock. I don't know. What do you call it? Okay. The herd, flock of sheep. It, doesn't, it just kind of does its own thing. All right. It won't eat from, you know, it won't nurse from its mother. So they have to like get a bottle and they're like trying to like get the, get the lamb to eat from this bottle. And it's like pushing out the bottle with its tongue and it's like not cooperating. Just a stupid lamb. It keeps on trying to get in with the dogs which want to kill it. You know, like that type of thing. And so this is just a dumb Dumb lamb. And, uh, and that's kind of how Jesus refers to us. Jesus is like, man, these, like my followers are like sheep. Like they're vulnerable. We're stupid. Like we make some bad decisions, every single one of us, right? We can testify to that. And so here's Peter. He's like, okay, all right, feed my lambs. I, I get you. That's a weird way to put it, but yeah, I got you. I got you, Jesus. And Jesus is like, okay. Then Jesus says a second time. He says, Simon, son of John, all right, full name again. He says, do you love me? It's the agape love. Do you supremely love me? He asks him again. And Peter's like, yeah, Lord, you, you know that I brotherly love you. You know, that I, you know that I like you. And so Jesus is like, okay. And then shepherd my sheep. It's this idea that the world is dangerous and the world is coming after his sheep. And then he asked him a third time. He says, Simon, son of John. Okay, again. He says, do you love me? Now this time, Jesus, he, he changes it up. This time, he uses the word love that Peter's been using. He uses the word philia, which is the brotherly type of love. He's like, do you love me like a brother? And it's almost like Jesus is questioning Peter's, like, lesser love. He's doubting Peter's lesser love. He's like, and when Peter hears this, John tells us, Peter was grieved that he asked him a third time, do you love me? I mean, this bothers Peter. He's like, are you, you're questioning, like, I might not be at the point where I love you supremely like I should, but I don't think I am now because of what I've done in, the, in my past at this point from denying you three different times and all that type of stuff. But here he's like, but I know I love you like a brother. And then he says that twice, and then here's Jesus like, are you sure you love me like a brother? And Peter's just like, Man, yeah, I think. And I think at this point, Peter's like, ah, I see what you're doing here. Aha, I, I think I get it. We're back on the lake. You already redid your, you redo your fish trick, you know, from the first time that we met. 
recreated that scene. Now here we are at a charcoal fire. All right, just like the last time I was at a charcoal fire, I remember, all right, you were there. Remember, Jesus gave him a look. They made eye contact right after Peter did this three times. And, and he's like, yeah, okay, like I denied that I even knew you three different times. And now you're questioning my love three different times. He's like, okay, I get what you're doing. You're connecting the dots here. And Peter is grieved because what Jesus is doing is he's bringing up Peter's worst moment. And he's got all this shame and all this guilt from this moment. He's bringing up the pain that's associated with that. And what Jesus is basically saying is he's saying, hey, Peter, I want you, but we got to deal with this first. We got to fix this in our relationship. I remember a few years ago, I was at um, my friend's house and for some reason, unprovoked, man, his dog just, like, came up and attacked me. It was crazy. He's just, like, locked on to my arm, and it wouldn't let go. And, um, and it was angry. I don't know, again, I don't know what would I, what would I have done. And so um, after we get the dog off of me, I go run inside the house, all right, and I'm, like, in their kitchen, and I'm, like, bleeding everywhere. So the dog had, like, four perfect puncture holes from his, like, canine teeth in my arm, and, um, and so, and like blood is pouring out. And so I'm like dripping blood everywhere. And his grandmother was there. And I love her to death. I've known her for a long time. And she comes up. She sees what's happening. She's like, oh, I got just a thing. And she goes and she's like, you need Neosporin. You know what I'm talking about, Neosporin? Okay, that's a normal thing. All right. And so um, she like comes with this Neosporin and she like puts this big old glob on her finger. And she goes and she puts her, the Neosporin and her finger into one of the holes on my arm, and her finger, I watched it disappear into the hole, okay? Like her fingernail was not seen. It all went in, and it kind of freaked me out a little bit because her finger was literally in my arm with a giant glob of Neosporin, and I was just thinking, you know, I was just thinking this week, I'm like, it's kind of like that. It's like when we get hurt, a lot of times, like at that moment, that hurt way worse than the dog bite hurt. You know what I mean? I'm like, woman, get your finger out of my arm. That hurt way worse. But what she was doing is she was helping me, right? It needed to heal. And sometimes to heal and sometimes to fix the problem, it's going to hurt worse. That's just how it is. See, it's funny. I've talked to people all the time. Um, I've heard this many, many times where someone will say, you know what? You know, I, think, I don't think God could forgive somebody like me. Yeah, I've talked to people where they're like, you know, if I went into a church, you know, lightning would, you know, strike me, you know, and I'm like, okay, good to know. I'll stand away from you, you know, if I see you in church, like that type of thing. And, you know, people just kind of think that. And my question is like, is like, who do you think you are? Like, you're totally right in the sense that, yeah, your sin is a very, very big deal. In fact, it's such a big deal that each sin is like a slap in God's face, okay? That's how big deal, that's how big of a deal sin is. In fact, it's such a big deal that God had to die for it. By the way, he died for it because he wanted us to experience and he wanted, us to, he wanted to show us his grace. So my question is, who do you think you are that you think you can out-sin the grace of God? Like, you think your sin is greater than God's grace? See, you think too highly of you and your sin. That's your issue. See, Jesus is saying, you cannot out me because of my grace. That's why he came. Not to give us a do-over on every little mistake we made in life. He came to save us because even if we got a do-over, we wouldn't, we wouldn't do the do-over right. I mean, uh, when I was in high school, I took AP chemistry. And if you guys like, a okay, probably not. Okay, we got a few. AP chemistry, I was terrible at it. Okay, I was not good at chemistry because I had a bunch of math in it and I was not good at math. So I took AP chemistry in high school and I remember going to the test. The test was at Terra and I go into the classroom and they're like, okay, you got like 
four hours to take this test. And I'm like, all right, that should be enough time. And I'm looking at it, and I'm going through. And I remember it was the first time in my life where I'm going through a test, and I'm like, I don't think I know any of these. They were a multiple choice. You know, at least then I'm like, well, I can at least get a quarter of them correct. You know what I mean? In theory, see all the way, you'll, you know, you'll get quarter. So um, there weren't mul- multiple choice. It was all like word problems and math and, and you have to show your work and just all this stuff. And I'm like, I don't th- I think I'm going to try for four hours and I think there's a pretty good chance I'm going to get a zero. Like that's embarrassing. Like this is a new low in my academic career. And so I'm doing it and I took the test and of course, just like I thought, I, we got the results back like weeks later and I failed miserably. In fact, I remember my teacher was like so disappointed in my scores. It was embarrassing. He was just like, oh, you know. And I'm like, sorry. And, um, but think about this. I have a first grader. His name's Toby. What if I took that AP test and I gave it to Toby and I said, hey, all right, do this test. All right, you can do it. I give him all the encouragement he needs. All right, good job, buddy. All right, you take that test. You can do it. What's going to happen? Kid's going to fail, right? Two reasons. Number one, he's a Pinkerton, okay, <laughs> right? Number two, he's only in first grade. All right, so the kids, he's not going to have a chance. What if I came to him and I'm like, okay, we get the test graded. I'm like, ah, I got it. All right, I crunk, crinkle it up, throw it in the trash. I'm like, guess what? I'm going to give you a do-over. And I give him the test again. What's going to happen? Kid's going to fail, right? Like, think about it. If God gave you a do-over at life, maybe you wouldn't make the exact same mistakes that you've made in the past, but you're just going to screw that life up too. All right, same thing with me. I mean, let's take Peter's life, for example. Peter is the type of dude, he had some high highs, but he had some low lows. I mean, remember the time that he walked on water, right? So if you remember, we've talked about this just weeks ago. Um, Jesus, he's like supposed to get, I don't know, he's supposed to get picked up in the boat by the disciples. They're on the same lake, the Sea of Galilee, and Peter, Jesus is tired of waiting, so he just like walks across the water because of the wind, and there's a storm going on, and uh, he just walks, and the disciples see him like walking towards him, and they're like, it's a ghost, and then Peter's like, nah, I think that's Jesus, and so Peter yells out, he's like, hey, Jesus, if it's you, um, let me come out and walk on the water with you, and Jesus is like, okay, come on out, Peter, and Peter, and I don't think we give him enough credit for this, the dude jumped out of the boat, all right, got to give him some props for that, I don't think I'd be able to do that. And so Peter, he jumps out onto the water, and he starts walking to Jesus, and everything's going pretty good. By the way, that's a high in life. If you ever get invited by Jesus to go walk on water with him, take it, because that's pretty sweet. And so Peter, he starts walking on water towards Jesus, but then do you remember what happened? Right? He starts looking at the waves, waves, he starts looking at the wind, and he starts freaking out. He's like, what am I doing? I am walking on water. I'm not supposed to be walking on water. This is like, you know, this is not possible, and he starts to sink, and remember, Jesus has to reach out, grab his hand, I mean, he's almost a Jesus at this point, grabs him and pulls him up, and he says, you have little faith, so low, messed up the whole miracle, you know, it's embarrassing, it's like, come on, Pete, remember the time that he gathers his disciples around, he's like, okay, guys, I got a question for you, he says, who do you guys think I am, and they're all like, um, we've heard some things that other people have said. And he's like, who do you think I, I am? And then Peter, he's the first one. He's like, raises his hand. He's like, oh, pick me, Jesus, pick me. I, I know this one. And he's like, okay, Peter. And he's like, I know who you are. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the Savior of the world. You are God who's going to save us. And then remember what Peter, I mean, he is, it's 100% correct. And Jesus is like, good job, Peter. You got it. You nailed it. I'm, he renamed him Rocky, okay, like upon this rock and this statement that you said, and I'm going to build my church, all this stuff. And then remember what happens just, a, just later on in the page? Jesus gathers his disciples around. He's like, okay, 
all right, now that we got that all cleared up, I'm going to give you guys the lowdown on exactly the plan and what's going on. He's like, okay, we're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to go there. The religious leaders are going to capture me, and then they're going to put me to death, and I'm going to die. And as soon as Peter hears that, he grabs Jesus. He pulls him aside. He's like, he's like Jesus, you can't be talking like that. Who do you think you are? No, no, I never want to hear you say death. Come out of your mouth ever again. Shame on you, Jesus. And then Jesus, remember what he says? He's like, get behind me, Satan. You don't talk to me like that. That's not how this works, Peter. And by the way, if you're Catholic, Peter goes from Pope to Satan on the same page. Right? So you got to deal with that somehow. But, um, but that's going on. I mean, that's a, you got your high highs, and then you got your lows. God's calling him Satan. Remember that time where um, Jesus... He, he invites the disciples, actually, as his disciples, he tells them all to, like, hey, you guys chill here. I'm going to go up on top of this mountain. Um, Peter, James, John, why don't you guys come with me? And so they get the invite. Hi, right, in, in Peter's life. That should be one of the highs. And so they go up, and Jesus has this, like, we call it the transfiguration. He has this moment where he, he goes to, like, he gets to, like, his heavenly body for a second. And he transforms in front of him. And, um, and all Peter and James and John had to do was, like, watch and just kind of be there. And, like, Elijah shows up, Moses shows up, and they start talking with each other with Jesus. And they're like, oh, this is sweet. You know, how's it going down here? Like, that type of thing. And then remember what Peter does? Peter starts talking. She's like, shut up, man. He starts saying, like, hey, what's up, guys? Hey, Moses, what's up? Um, hey, it's good that we're here, you know? And then he's like, hey, you, you, wanna, you want a tent? We could build you a tent. We could build you a little shelter too, Elijah. Jesus, you want a little? And he, just, he doesn't even know what he's talking. Dude's just babbling, we find out. And remember what happens? God, as Jesus is still, as Peter is still talking, God the Father like yells down in a sense and says, hey, almost like shut up. <laughs> Peter, shut up. Right? He says, listen to Jesus, my son. That's a low. Gets called out. Right? Remember the last night that we've been talking about, we were referring to so often before Jesus dies, he's got them in that second story room. And remember what Jesus does? He goes around and he starts washing their feet. He's like showing, he's like, I'm just going to serve you guys. This is like a job usually reserved for slaves. And he goes around and he's washing their feet. This should be a high. Like here's the God of the universe like serving someone like Peter, like wanting to do that. This is crazy. And when Jesus gets to Peter, remember what Peter says? He's like, nah, Jesus, you ain't washing my feet. No way. All right, maybe John. John can wash my feet, but not you. No way. And remember what Jesus says? Jesus is like, well, if I don't wash your feet, Peter, then uh, why, first of all, why you got to mess all this up? But if I'm not washing your feet, then, then you have no part of me. And then Peter's like, all right, well, then wash my whole body. Just wash, wash all of me. And Jesus is like, no, why do you got to make everything so weird all the time? You know, come on, Peter. He messed up that night. Remember just about an hour later? He goes, they go to the garden, and, and Jesus says to his disciples, he says, I want you guys to chill here. Hey, Peter, James, John, you guys come with me a little farther in. I want you guys close to me. He says, I want you guys to pray. Peter gets the invite. It's a high. And then Jesus comes back three different times and finds him sleeping. And then he goes and cuts off a dude's ear, like right after this. Like, it's just, it's just bad. Like, here's a guy who kept messing up just like us. See, when it comes to our sin, we don't need a do-over. We need a substitute, meaning someone who's going to take the test for us. 
And that's just what Jesus did. It doesn't matter our past. It doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter all the things, all our regrets or anything like that. He wants a relationship with us. And Peter is just now trying to, he's starting to like figure this thing out. And so Peter says, he says, Lord, you know everything and you know that I love you. Jesus says, then feed my sheep. He says, truly I tell you, Peter, that when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you wherever you don't want to go. He said this, by the way, John tells us, to indicate by what type of death Peter would glorify God. Remember, when John's writing this, he's an older man and Peter has already died. He says, and after saying this, he told him, Peter, I want you to follow me. By the way, Jesus does not say, hey, if you follow me, you're going to live a great life and all your problems are going to go away and everything's going to be rosy. It's not what he says here, if you notice that. Right? Like if that's why you're following Jesus, because you want to live a better life and you want to improve your relationship with your kids or maybe you want to fix your marriage, I don't know, whatever it might be. If that's your reason, really what you're doing is you're, you're using Jesus to get what you want so that you will be happy and you're really only caring about you. See, here Jesus, he's saying, follow me, not to make your life better, follow me, because I'm better than life. That's why you should be following me, even though you've messed up more times than you can count, even though you continue to mess up, even though you got issues, especially just like Peter, he's saying, I still want you to follow me, Peter, I want you to be on my team. He says, so Peter, he turned around and he saw, (laughs) as they're talking about this, he's like, okay, Peter just got news that he's going to die for Jesus, really. He says he saw the disciple that Jesus loved. Remember who that is? John. Following them. This was the same guy who leaned back against Jesus at the supper and asked him, Lord, who is the one who's going to betray you, if you remember that? It says when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, he said, Lord, what about him? Which is kind of funny, right? Like Peter and John, they're pretty good friends, I would, I would assume. And then Jesus is just like, yeah, Peter, all right, I want you to follow me. I want you to stay focused on me. And by the way, you're going to die for me, all right, like a man, basically. And, um, and then they're walking, and he's like, well, what about John? John going to die? He should die too, right? Is he going to die before me, after me? What's going to happen? What's going to happen to him? What's his story? And, and he, it's just funny to me that here's Jesus, like right after Jesus restores this relationship, right after Jesus and Peter is like, okay, all right, clear the air here. We're all good now. Instead of Peter kind of soaking it in or saying, all right, thank you, Jesus, appreciate that. All right, I'm, I'm on, you know, thin ice here, but now, now we're good. He starts comparing himself to John. Just like we start to compare ourselves to the people around us. It's like, it's like Peter gets a do-over and then he screws up the do-over. Sound familiar, by the way? That's what we do all the time. And so he points to John. He's like, what about him? And Jesus says, if I want him to remain until I come, if I want him to live, then what is it to you? Peter, focus, buddy. All right, stop looking. No, stop looking at that bird. You know, he's like, focus, follow me. So this rumor spread to the brothers and the sisters that this disciple, John, would not die. Yet Jesus did not say that he would not die. He says, if I want him to remain until I come, what is it to you? That's what he said. He says, this is the disciple who testifies to these things. All right? At the end of his book, he's like, guess what? I'm that guy who wrote them down. He says, we know that his testimony is true. He's like, I was there. I saw this stuff with my own eyes. I'm a witness to here. And he says, and there, and you got to picture this, is John is super old at this point. He's writing this letter so that we would know. He's, he's saying, hey, this is what happened. He's on the island of Patmos. He's been banished by the Roman government late on in his life. And he's thinking about all these memories that he spent three years of his life with Jesus. 
when he was in his 20s. He's probably thinking through all this stuff. He's like, man, Jesus did so much. He said so many things. He says, there are also so many other things that Jesus did, which if every one of them were written down, like if I just wrote all these things down, he's like, I suppose not even the world itself could contain the books that would be written. He's like, man, Jesus did so much. But he's already told us that the reason why he tells us these things is so that we would believe. It's funny because we know from history that Peter gets a do-over on his biggest mistake. Right? Later on in his life when he's older, he, the Roman government actually arrests Peter. Right? Because Peter's teaching about Jesus. And they give, Jesus, they give Peter an option. They say, okay, here's the deal. We can um, kill you on a cross, which is like the worst way to go. Or... Um, you can deny that all this stuff that you've been saying about Jesus, all this stuff, all right, that he came back and he's actually God and just all these things, that that's all fake and you made it all up. Death or it's fake. Death or deny that Jesus was that is really God. And Peter, he looks at them and he's like, you know what? I'm not going to do that again. He's like, I'm not doing it. And actually what he says is he's like, I'm not even worthy to die the same way that Jesus died. And so the Romans, they actually end up crucifying him and killing him on a cross, but they do it upside down. See, here's the deal. Peter didn't waste his do-over. And you may not get a do-over on each mistake that you've made in life. That's just not how life works. And Jesus doesn't offer you a do-over on life. That's not what he's offering. He's offering you a new life. See, when, it, when he died, it counted for you. And I don't know where you're at, and I don't know what you think, and I don't know what you believe, but I'll, one thing I do know is that Jesus died for you, and he cares about you, and he wants you to follow him. He's begging you to follow him, just like he's begging Peter, all right, just like he's telling Peter, hey, focus on me. I am better than life. And some of you guys, you've never made that decision before. And if you never, never have made that decision to give your life to Jesus, it's not about good stuff. It's not about being a good person, all right? You're not good enough. Sorry to, you know, break the news to you. You're just not. Either am I. The only way we get to heaven, the only way we start that relationship with Jesus, is we got to ask him to be a part of our life. We got to, it's like we got to, we got to give him our life. And if you haven't done that yet, you used to do that today. Take five minutes, take a drive, whatever you got to do. Get alone with just you and God and ask him to be a part of your life. Surrender your life to him. That's all it is. Because you're not guaranteed tomorrow. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day. And we thank you for these words and this book and all this stuff that John has written down for us. God, you gave this to us so that we can know more about you, so we can, we can know you. We don't deserve it. You don't owe it to us in any way. And God, we thank you for that. We also thank you for coming down and you died for us. You did that voluntarily because of your love for us, which I don't even understand. And we thank you for that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.